Hello, Erica. Hello, Stephen. Where are we? In the village, talking about Checkmate. I am purposely not saying an episode number because who the hell cares? I'll say this, though. This is the ninth podcast episode that we're doing, (laughs) which means we're officially past the halfway point. Oh, my goodness. That went fast. I know, um, because it's only 17 episodes, which seems like a perfect amount for this series. Not too long, not too short, Mm -hmm. just right. Um, So, yeah, checkmate. Um, I can't remember. Was this... I know there was an episode when we first watched this that I, I it might have been free for all actually now that I think about it that I accidentally forgot about because we were trying to jump around and we watched like free for all fairly late so it wasn't checkmate for some reason I thought it was checkmate but I seem to recall on the first watch of this one that you didn't like this one as much am I right in that I have I really don't know I don't I don't have very strong recollections of this one I enjoyed it this time Yay! I, yeah, I like I liked the idea that uh, that number six comes up with a a plan, mm-hmm. a way to determine whether or not people are prisoners or um, guardians. Yes, that's how they said it, guardians. Uh, which is that was pretty clever, mm-hmm. and I liked seeing him go around and and do it. And I loved at the end that it was that very plan that is what did him in because he himself does not conform to the village in that way so he doesn't match up with the plan so he responds just like a guardian would so his own cohorts turned on him because they believed what he said which is just delicious irony mm-hmm. and so and it's his own um, um, whatever that word is that keeps him there which is kind of intriguing and stuff yeah it's interesting. I liked it. Um, you're not a chess player, are you? No, I, I do not know the rules of chess. I think I know where the little guys go. I think I know, actually. I remember wanting to learn that because I think I wanted to learn how to play chess once. And um, I never won a game because I'm not very good at it. So I wouldn't be very good at doing the thing. It was kind of neat, though. I kind of like those big live action chess game that they had at the beginning. Yeah, that was kind of cool. I mean, I've 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 been a couple to a couple of parks that have like life sized chess boards mm-hmm. and stuff, but I've never actually seen anybody playing. I think that would be a, a fun thing to do. But the, but I wouldn't be able to participate because I don't know what any you know to, pawn to kings for. I have no idea what Kings Four is. I don't like I don't like strategy games very much, so chess was never anything that appealed to me at all. Uh, Lego has made uh, over the years a few different chess um, games with like little knights and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I've often been compelled to get one, but then I don't know how to play chess, so I've never gotten one. It would look kind of cool in a drawing room situation, though, wouldn't it? We don't have a drawing room. <laughs> we don't have room for a drawing room. We mm-hmm. don't need any more Lego right now. Mm-mm. That's fine. Um, what else do you want to say? <laughs> so that's it for this part. No, what else do you want to talk about uh, about Checkmate? Because we pretty much summarized the plot. I'm just thinking that it's kind of, um, you know, how, especially last one with Dance of the Dead. Um, there are some episodes that are very fantastical, and then there's this one, which I think is very, very straightforward in a way, isn't it? It really is. I mean, it's... It it starts off with, you know, kind of the 
Well, actually, it starts off with Rover bouncing through the town and everybody freezing, except for the guy who is the chess champion for some reason that's never actually explained. He's just wandering. Yeah, he's his own guy, number 14. is played by George Cloris. Do you recognize George Cloris at all? He seemed vaguely familiar, but I don't know where from. He played Arbitan in the Keys of Marinus for one <laughs> little week in 1964, Doctor Who, yeah. Okay, so that explains why he was why he was familiar. Yep, totally, totally. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I guess the reason narrative-wise for that was so that number six would notice him, mm-hmm. and that's how number six, like, actually got him, uh, just noticed him in the first place and ended up with him on his team, and of course, then that's how uh, he meets the Rook, mm-hmm. the guy who's playing the Rook. I just find it amusing that number two and the doctor and everybody else continue to refer to that guy as the Rook yep. all the way through. Um, I just found that amusing. And and yeah, so then, you know, he puts his plan into action and he's got his, his cronies and we just sort of see them carry that out. I did enjoy watching them go around the village and like steal cameras and telephones and, you know, antennas and stuff. I feel like it seems like the surveillance of, you know, the Guardians is always exactly as good as it needs to be for the plot in any given episode because they keep losing him in this one. Whereas most of like in many episodes, they, they make you think that, you know, he can't go anywhere without being watched like he can't even get to the beach without rover chasing him down except here he gets to go to the beach a couple of times with multiple people and send out a raft Mm. and they don't notice and they don't send out rover yeah yeah, like i said the less fantastical Mm -hmm. um i can't remember who wrote this one i think it was someone who only wrote this episode certainly wasn't patrick mcguin um but there is kind of like that basic espionage kind of feel to it as opposed to an allegorical weird feel to it that perhaps would be happening if McGowan sort of had his feelers into it you know what I mean I, I get the sense that there's those there's there's a definite division between types of episodes in this series mm-hmm. and yeah I think the uh, the straightforward episodes have a lot slimmer pickings in the uh, what would I cosplay department there wasn't a lot here but there was a whole chess game there and yeah, and they were all wearing those awful short multicolored capes. I hate them so much. Why do you hate the capes? I don't like multicolored things like that. I don't like the colored scheme. I don't like short capes. Never right. like short capes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's just many strikes against them. I was uh, the the attendants who took various players off the off the uh, the, the the stage the the chessboard uh, after they were uh, removed from the game had these weird little like vertical like sort of dark gray and white stripes and the shortest shorts i think i've seen on anyone <laughs> those guys had like they were like super short it's uh, I, that's the one thing that i noticed i wouldn't necessarily cosplay in that outfit though yeah i actually at first thought that they were wearing flesh colored leggings that just went like all the <laughs> way up because yeah. yeah they were shorty shorty short shorts mm-hmm. yeah. yeah i wouldn't cosplay as that either no um, I also, you know, given the the sort of less fantastical nature of this, that this one at least, like what I think number uh, fourteen, George Cloris, chess master, he sort of talks about you know the outside a little bit. Number fifty nine, the rook. Mm-hmm. I always take note of the numbers now. Mm-hmm. Um, he was like talking about like how he got to the prison, you know, 
uh, to the village. And then uh, number eight, uh, the woman who is um, following number six around, also sort of talks about escape. This is like the most uh, number of prisoners, I suppose, that are like talking about escape and life outside of the village, you know. And not only are they talking about escape, they're talking about it as if everybody has a plan for escape, mm. which that's not really the impression that we've gotten from any other episodes up until now. Um, a lot of people seem to have the idea that, hey, you know, we're here. We might as well just suck it up and be comfortable. Mm-hmm. And that's not the impression we get from this episode. People, everybody's got a plan for escape. And, you know, number eight, when she's first talking to him, is saying, oh, you know, I've I've tried to help lots of people escape. <laughs> and then why are you still here? Right. Well, because they all fail. But now I can tell you what not to do. Uh, and that was even before she had been, you know, altered mm-hmm. to be, quote unquote, in love with him, which was an interesting an interesting uh you know we don't see a lot and we've talked about this before there's not a lot of like romance in this um, certainly not between number six and anybody and here they use a very very artificial stalkery sort of <laughs> um take on romance which i think i would find much more uncomfortable if the doctor who planned it wasn't also a woman right. <laughs> like just just seems uh, a little interesting actually uh, incidentally that is who i would cosplay as as the doctor oh really how come um because i just you know she's just got kind of a nice smock like lab coat Mm -hmm. and really sensible shoes and just you know it seems like a kind of a thing that you could you could work in and it would be it would be comfortable and and just fine what you didn't like um the hat that number eight was wearing at all i know we seem to be on a hat kick these days so Mm -hmm. uh bucket hat yeah, I was I was okay with the hat. The yeah. hat was fine. I just didn't like any of the rest of her outfit. The sweaters that they wear look terribly uncomfortable. <laughs> Number fifty nine. We get a lot of close ups of the pattern of the material that makes up a sweater. Yeah, yeah and I've I've noticed that same material. I, I assume that they had a lot of these sweaters, just sort of mass made, probably like machine knit, uh-huh. uh, out of the same cheap ass material. Um, <laughs> Yeah, right. whatever the fabric is, it just or the yarn, it, that does not look like it would be something I would actually want to wear. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two is played by one Peter Wingard, and you actually asked me if you if have we seen this number two before? Did he, did he look familiar to you at all? Yeah, he is in Doctor Who, right? He was. Yeah, I'm not able to to place it. Was he wearing more or less eyeliner when he was in Doctor Who? <laughs> Let me think about this. Uh, he was in Planet of Fire in 1984, oh. um, but he had a mustache and he was obviously older. I think what you might be remembering him from uh, is when we went to Paul Cornell, the writer Paul Cornell's birthday party in June of this calendar year. And at the end of the night, we watched Doctor Who, and then Paul wanted us to watch an episode of The Avengers. And he, Paul, uh, Peter Wingard played like the head of this weird club, (laughs) this hedonistic club. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that was like 1966. That was around the same time as this. So that's, Mm -hmm. that could be where you uh, remember him from. That is totally where I'm remembering him from. Yes. The, the now one episode of the Avengers that Mm -hmm. I have ever seen. Thanks, Paul. Yeah. Um, Which was, it was delightful. And he, Peter Wingard really made an impression. So that explains it. Yeah. He was an interesting number two as well. Like, you know, we get all these weird little quirks 
for each one. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he was sort of sitting there weirdly meditating slash doing some sort of like karate martial arts. Yeah. And just, you know, then matter of factly says, okay, I'll be there. And just get, you know, slams his fist down, says hi or whatever it is that he says. And, and yeah, and then just gets up and goes. Yeah. It's a cute outfit. <laughs> it's a karate outfit, I think. He's sort of like doing the, the chopping the wood thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wonder if that was a Wingard uh, inspiration that he put that in, thinking I need to be doing that. Because there's no real point to it other than he's sitting up late at night doing this, <laughs> saying, don't disturb me. I have to meditate and then chop wood. <laughs> and that's what happens. Um yeah but, yeah, but do we think that, um, you know, whatever the actor was who had the milk, that the actor came up with it? I suspect that that's just <laughs> something that they throw in the script. Every time right. there's a new number two, you know, they need to have something. You know, the last lady had a cat. The lady right. before that um, baked birthday cakes. You know, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's something for everyone. It's a subtle thing, but, I mean, I, th- I don't know where we are in Peter Wingard's uh, ascension to sort of... Um, stardom a little bit. He was famous in the ni- early 1970s for, I think it's a show called Jason King, where he played a very smarmy detective, I think, with much longer hair and a mustache and sideburns. He was your sort of typical kind of like, if Austin Powers had like a dad, <laughs> it would be Jason King um, as this weird womanizing fellow. And I can't remember if this is on the way up to that or if he was already known. I know he's in a lot of you know, sort of famous British TV shows around this time. And so I'm wondering if, if an actor of such clout would be able to sort of be able to dictate what he wanted to do in a scene or two. That's what I'm wondering. Hmm. Yeah. I suppose it's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else you want to talk about? I, I, I do. I, it's weird. I haven't, um, I never picked up on this, this one until relatively recently about, about um, how everyone sort of switches sides but I'm glad that watching this with you the last time, I finally kind of actually recognized what was going on <laughs> in this episode. I was kind of confused by it at first, but it is an interesting um, look at how, you know, how far can you go to be, you know, you're still a prisoner, but to behave like a guardian is kind of like making a prison of oneself or something mm-hmm. like that, you know? Yeah, he, he landed himself back in prison mm-hmm. by acting like a guard like you know his his drive to get him out himself out is mm-hmm. exactly what kept him in yeah so only pawns are free but mm-hmm. they're in prison but they don't get free either like it's just no. a vicious vicious cycle which is exactly the way they want it in the village yes like a big chess game and of course we saw the the butler several times throughout this episode because he's he's the one that sort of moves the chess pieces around and holds the umbrella Mm -hmm. which is very prominently featured in the foreground and he's also sort of walking by holding the umbrella and of course at the very end he brings the uh, the pawn and sets it back on the chess piece yep he he takes the pawn and he puts it back where it belongs Mm -hmm. just like number six is going to go back where he belongs back to his apartment after this is all over a slightly more obvious metaphor Mm -hmm. in this series but an enjoyable one nonetheless Mm -hmm. i like this episode yeah it's it's good it's solid solid episode of the prisoner all right was that it then for this one we done yeah i guess uh just wait for next time when we talk about hammer into anvil which will be the next episode this might be my favorite prisoner episode of all time 
Oh dear, I'm not sure if I'm glad or not glad that you told me that because now it's like expectations are raised. Damn, mm-hmm. it's a lot of people's favorite. Mm-hmm. It's uh, I just like it a lot. That's all. Okay, well we'll see. I see. I don't remember based on right. the title. So, um, so yeah, I I look forward to the next time. It's not like the Caves of Androzani and Doctor Who. Thank Fudge. <laughs> fudge is good. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, next time, hammer into Anvil. Yep. Um, be seeing you. Be seeing you. Be seeing you.